The phone conversation between fantasy veterans Bob Harris and Matt Waldman is a quick and dirty rundown of players, units, or teams from Sunday's games. Feel it or fuck it is our instant verdict on the fantasy value of a player or situation, not the ability, effort, or character of the player. This is just how two old-timers in this industry talk when they got a lot of cover in a little time. Bob. Matt, good morning to you. We are now into week 10. That means week 9 is in the rearview mirror. And once again, the NFL continues its mission to point out the volatility and the unexpected is what we should expect uh, every single week of the season. And it's getting difficult for fantasy managers sorting through these difficult, tumultuous uh, events each week to figure out the right starters. We're here to help them out. Um, and uh, hopefully we give a little clarity. First of all, let's just start with the guy I'm going to start calling Ian A. Reminds me of a kid in my uh, high school days. We called him elbows and assholes because that's all you ever saw of him. He was <laughs> running past you and running away from you. And so when I watched uh, Johnny Smith taking that 60-yard uh, screen, uh, screen pass 60 yards for a touchdown, it you know reminded me that Arthur Smith is also a Smith. I don't think we should discount that connection between the two. Also, don't think we should discount the fact that at this point, as we sit right now, uh, he, he had, by the way, reached the top speed of 21.15 miles per hour during that touchdown run. Third fastest speed since, by a tight end since 2016, according to the next gen stats. Uh, also set the season a little high, long for a Falcons touchdown. The second longest touchdown of Smith's career. Uh, he has a 61 yarder as a Titan. But more importantly, he has now two of the top tight end receiving yard performances this season. Travis Kelsey is the only other tight end with two top 10 performances. Can we just admit it? We feel Jonu Smith. You're just loaded with information this morning, man. I'm glad I woke up before we did this show. That's all I got to say. I think, yeah. I mean, I think, first of all, fuck the deniers. That's over. (laughs) I mean, he's here to stay for the season. Um, You absolutely should be feeling Jonu Smith, and I think for at least the past three to four weeks, people should have probably jumped on him and and added him to their roster, even if they didn't believe for sure whether he was going to be an every week starter, but he is, without a shadow of a doubt. Now, at the same time, fuck Arthur Smith for running, uh, basically running a, a sweep or an outside, a perimeter running play with Jonu Smith at the goal line when Bijan Robinson has gotten exactly one touch all year in the red zone, Greg, courtesy of Craig Allman, who covers them, you know, covers the NFC South for uh, Fox, Fox Sports, Sports, you know, the former, the former Buccaneers, um, you know, reporter, beat reporter. But yeah, I mean, the fact that the fact that Jonu Smith is, you know, Jonu Smith, like you said, elbows and assholes. Yeah, absolutely. He will run through you, run around you, run past you. Um, we've seen that they found something that works in terms of using him. And it's not like they're ignoring Kyle Pitts anymore because, no. you know, Tyler, Taylor Heineke was certainly targeting targeting Pitts and doing a pretty good job of targeting him. I think now we, we just have to understand that this is a two-tight-end offense, and I'm quite okay with that because after, you know, basically, you know, Kyle Pitts is the other wide receiver. He's half wide receiver, half tight end at best. <clears throat> So really, it's Drake London and everybody else in that wide receiving core. 
So I'd go, I'd roll two tight ends. I think that makes perfect sense. The only thing that doesn't make perfect sense is that you have Bijan Robinson and you're not using him in the red area or the green area or any area where he could potentially score without having to work through at least eight to 10 people of the defense in the open field for <clears throat> 40 or 50 yards. So yeah, I don't know, man. Fuck this whole explanation from Arthur Smith. I think he's he's looking worse and worse by the week in terms of like just the excuses that he he tries to use in the media to to just kind of downplay. I I think it's just someone who's probably you know there's a little bit of truth to what's going on here with his behavior. But love the use of Smith. Yeah, his his behavior is odd. Well, there we go. Sorry about that. That's all right. I'll say this: somebody said somebody said this on Twitter, and I and I'm feeling this. Um, Arthur Smith is what Cleveland Browns fans think they have in Kevin Stefanski and complain about. <laughs> That's a little hard. Um, so I just want to say on the, you know, the beat down Robinson. So Tyler Algier had a five yard run in the fourth quarter that capped a 13 play 79 yard drive. Algier had eight carries for 41 yards, 52% of that drive. Uh, so that's to your point on B. John Robinson, criminally underused, had 11 carries, 51 yards. Uh, but he did have a fumble, right? I mean, I guess, you know, my question to you, are you feeling uh, B. John Robinson is like a poor man's Jameer Gibbs? <laughs> yeah, and I didn't think that we would be saying that at this at this stage of the game, but he is, he is absolutely being used in that fashion and probably not being used as wisely. So absolutely feeling it ironically. You know, so yeah, I mean, I mean, I look at it this way, Bob. I mean, it's kind of like, um, I don't know. They're using it's as mis. It's no, nah, I don't want to go there. I wanted to make. I was gonna. I, I'm not going there. I don't know if I can go where I want to go with this. So we'll we'll move on, Bob. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on to Chris Olave. Uh, like I feel like I had like developed the blind spot, for Chris Olave. Uh, just in general, I felt like I was mostly fuck him. I think a lot of that came from watching Derek Carr. Uh, his negative reactions to him in a single game. And I thought, wow, if Derek Carr's so out on him, so should I be. Uh, but then I look at the numbers. The numbers tell a different story. Where are you at on Chris Olave? Yeah, absolutely. Chris Olave is like the number 17 receiver over the past four to five weeks. I believe that's where he's at. And recently, what you what you see is that they're making adjustments because Derek Carr can make all the faces he wants, but Pete Carmichael has been really isolating Derek and Chris Olave to being a vertical threat early in the season, other than maybe once or twice used out of the backfield. Um, so it's nice that they've switched up and said, you know what, let's do a little bit of a reset here. We're going to start targeting Olave in the short game, the underneath game, get him some quick hitting passes, let him show what he can do as a route runner in those areas of the field and maybe build a little more confidence and rapport between the quarterback and their top receiver. And I think that's working. Maybe the numbers aren't as gaudy as what we saw last year, but we're starting to see some consistent targets for him and, and, you know, a little bit more volume. And I think that that's an important place to start because if the new Orleans, if opposing defenses realize that Chris Olave is being used in such a limited fashion, um, that doesn't help anybody. So I'm glad to see that they're kind of making some adjustments here and it's working out. 
So the Houston Texans apparently have drafted the right quarterback. According to the Carolina Panthers, uh, they did. Anyway, um, uh, broad shot there. C.J. Stroud had a fantastic game, set the rookie record for passing yards, 470 yards, five touchdowns. Uh, did it fueled by the great performances of Dalton Schultz, uh, Tank Dell, Noah Brown, and to a lesser degree, Nico Collins. Are we feeling Nico Collins right now? Are we feeling Nico Collins? Yeah, I'm still feeling him, but I would say that I'm not feeling him as a wide receiver one over the past, I think over the past five weeks, he's actually outside your top 36, maybe even outside your top 40 wide receivers. So he's being, you know, he's used well when they're zone defenses and they're playing outside shade and they're using him in a specific fashion. And then when it comes to some of these jump ball, go up and get it balls, they're not throwing many of those. You know, most of this is timing and who and finding the open man, and that has to do with C.J. Stroud. He's playing good football, and he's not just predetermining who he's going to, and I think that's affecting Nico Collins in the short term. So I would say, you know, is Collins a wide receiver three? I think that's a better way to look at it, even though everyone was saying he's a wide receiver one moving forward. And, you know, I think a lot of that was – preseason confirmation bias of like what they saw early on. So, you know, Collins has been good, but I think he's coming back down to earth just because of usage and how defenses are playing and CJ Stroud is appropriately responding. Uh, Noah Brown turned up big. And, and I mean, there, there is no Robert Woods right now. Um, might this relegate uh, Robert Woods kind of to the ash heap of fantasy uh, producers uh, once he returns from his foot injury? Is Noah Brown the real deal? Are you feeling that? I mean, I think it's possible because Brown has nice size. He's a really physical player, and he is a go-up-and-win-it guy in the red area in a way that Robert Woods is not. But I am, I'm not feeling that just yet. I'm feeling Noah Brown as a just a bi-week option who you, you're going to take a speculative call on because he's had recent volume that's worked out well, and he's played well. But... I'm not sure they're going to just relegate Robert Woods to the ash heat yet. Uh, fuck that idea. Ah, I was hoping for that. Um, Okay, <laughs> I'm going to go for one of my guys. So tight ends, Dalton Schultz was a thing. Uh, there were some other tight ends that were a thing. I felt like it was extremely matchup, beneficial matchup for one K-Dot, and then he cashed in. What is K-Dot for the rest of the season? Is he a, Do you feel him as a viable play on a weekly basis or fuck it, just a streamer? Uh, with your hoping for that touchdown. Yeah, I'd say fuck it. He's a high-end streamer at this stage. Um, You know, ba Baker Mayfield really had a, a nice matchup. They did match him up in the red area well um, to draw a linebacker, and the coverage was right so that he could throw the trust throw, um, trust target to Otten, who came down <laughs> with it. And Otten is a good young player, but I think he's probably a year away from becoming um, low-end TE1 type of production on a consistent basis. Cole Komet apparently is uh, is everybody's tight end. America's tight end struck twice against the New Orleans Saints and uh, playing with Tyson Bajant. I think probably most everyone was out on this game in terms of the Bears' skill players in general. I thought they acquitted themselves quite well. None better than Cole Komet. What are we feeling Cole Komet as? I still think he's a low-end tight end one at best. I think that, the, you know, he made a heck of a catch early in the game on a fade route that Tyson Bajant shouldn't have thrown. I mean, this was basically Cole Komet saving Tyson Bajan's bacon. It was a great catch, but it was one of those things that happens once a year and and at at once every other year maybe type of thing out of Komet. 
He's a he's a solid player, but to me, if you took Drew Sample out of the you know Cincinnati Bengals lineup and you put him up with Cole Komet, I would bet you that the and you disguised their jerseys so that you didn't know which was which. I think a lot of people, a lot of beat reporters, wouldn't be able to tell the difference. And <clears throat> now that doesn't mean bad things about Drew Sample, but it just means that Cole Komet, I think, is a little bit overrated. Well, since you invoked the great Drew Sample in that mighty uh, Bengals tight end room featuring the former uh, quarterback Tanner Hudson, uh, who, by the way, uh, seems to do nothing but get first downs, but also we saw our first uh, Irv Smith Jr. sighting. Uh, are you feeling this is a sign of the evolution of this offense and Joe Burrow uh, maybe getting back up to full health, or was this just a one-off performance? I'm feeling that I'm open to it because we've seen more targets and yardage out of Irv Smith the past two weeks, and he had a nice matchup against Jordan Poyer where he won pretty easily on a on a um, corner fade early in the game. But I'm not. I, I would say I'm open. I'm feeling the idea of being open to Irv Smith continuing to build on that production, but I'm not convinced at it yet. So fuck the idea overall. I feel like Irv Smith is like the perennial trap. You know, I mean, we've been waiting every year. I I think I can recall writing a report breakout imminent for Irv Smith Jr. And yet the uh, breakout never comes. A lot of it's been health related, and he's had those issues this year. Uh, the tight end usage was interesting against the Buffalo Bills last night for the Cincinnati Bengals. Maybe indicative of this offense uh, kind of hitting stride, uh, and there may be other weeks where they get look in other directions. I'm kind of with you. I'm I'm going to keep him on some rosters just in case, right. uh, but I'm not going to be forcing him into lineups. Um, I'm still forcing Jalen Waddle into lineups. It wasn't a, like a super impressive showing. I think he's maybe a little beat up, uh, you know. And he saw, I think, the first series. He left the game briefly in Frankfurt against uh, the Chiefs. Uh, uh, what do we do with Jalen Waddle? Feel him or fuck him? Is he, is, he, uh, is he a must start every week? Or is he, I mean, we drafted him, many of us, as wide receiver one, if, if we were waiting a little longer, or certainly a wide receiver two at the very least. Yeah, I mean, remember like about five weeks ago when, you know, some of the smarter fantasy analysts out there, I don't, you know, I mean, out there would sit there and talk about, well, you know, I was on Matt Harmon's show. There's one of those guys who's one of the smarter fans. He was talking about, are we really worried about, you know, and he, he just posted as a question, not as a take. Are we worried about guys like Jalen Waddell and T. Higgins and Devonta Smith not living up to their fantasy value? And maybe we shouldn't be taking these guys as early as we do. And I think my response was, fuck that. And maybe it wasn't, it was a little bit nicer since it was Yahoo that we were on or no, it was on his, <laughs> wasn't Yahoo. It was perception. It was, uh, perception. Own, yeah. it was on his own, but still I just couldn't, you know, I wasn't sure which one this was going to show up on. So with that in mind, yeah, Jalen Waddle is a, has been a, almost a wide receiver one over the past five weeks, I think. So I'm feeling Jalen Waddle. I'm not taking that <laughs> dude out of my lineup and I know he's a little banged up, but there's certainly not, you know, it looked rough earlier in the year because of the way they're running the ball in Miami. But now that they have Jeff Wilson back, but Devon Achan isn't isn't back yet, you would I was thinking that maybe they would say, Oh, well, we use Jeff Wilson in the Raheem Mostert role and we'll take Raheem Mostert and use him in the Achan role. Well, they did that once, maybe twice all game last this past Sunday. And I was just you know, I was kind of surprised and that they weren't going to roll with that and and use that and have that type of usage. So it actually benefits Waddle more because they're not as successful running the football. They're good at it, 
but they're they haven't been like overpowering great um since HN has left. So yeah, I'm totally feeling Waddle. Uh, I am too. Uh, and I'm kind of feeling the Buffalo offense has uh, got a lot of pieces all of a sudden. Khalil Shakir seems to be one of them. We've talked about Dalton Kincaid a lot, and I think he's turning into the thing that you kind of predicted him to. But over the last three games, four, what do I want to say, four, six, four targets for Khalil Shakir, who has done nothing but catch all of them and be fairly productive. Is he, are you feeling him as a player on the rise? Yeah, I am totally feeling him as a player on the rise. And, you know, to me, coming out of school at Boise State, I saw him as kind of a less physical version of Heinz Ward who could take the physicality but maybe just not dish it out like Heinz Ward could or anyone else remotely. There's nobody remotely like Ward in that regard. But he's a he's a good pass catcher, and it was kind of funny because you'd hear beat writers at, in Buffalo talk about drops in practice over and over again that that was a big issue with them over the past couple of years he'd make big plays but then he'd come up short in the preseason or in the, or um in practice but all i know is i've seen him make big plays and catch the ball consistently in regular season games and i think they're figuring out um buffalo's figuring out that we need to be able to have josh allen target players other than gabe davis and and Diggs. And I think that they're finding that maybe if they don't spend so much time on Gabe Davis, who really requires <laughs> a lot more, he's the most, he's a very inefficient receiver. And what I mean right. that is, is that it takes a lot of scheming to make things, to get him those big plays, or you're using him on as that third read, which means there's a lot more risk or a lot more manpower put into his success. Whereas with Khalil Shakir and Dalton Kincaid, you don't have to scheme as much. You can do it, but you can let them just win one-on-one -on -one a little bit easier. And I think Shakir is showing that and has become a really valuable security blanket, um, you know, check down option or scramble drill option for Josh Allen and Allen's figuring it out. Did, did, did you buy into the, the uh, instant analysis? I'm pretty sure it was Chris Quansworth because who else does that? Um, that basically, you know, they were forcing uh, Josh Allen to look different directions than uh, than Stephon Diggs uh, early in the game. And then once they loosened up and he, he forced them to look at some of the other players and opened Diggs up later in the game, did you buy into that? I'd buy it into that idea for sure because I think that Josh Allen is a you, – you can see the way his game earns – plays out is there's a there was a play in the late in the first half where he forced a ball into Stefan Diggs that was an out route where the underneath corner had position and most quarterbacks wouldn't have thrown that if they did it probably would have gotten intercepted um but it was that kind of throw like you know Ricky Bobby driving backwards at 200 miles an hour and being able to get away with it I think that that's kind of the Josh Allen attitude and the coaches are probably thinking we've got to We've got to break him out of the habit of thinking just because he has the physical skills, he should try certain things because he ends up limiting the offense. Um, because a lot of the things that he does can be a little bit lower percentage overall. So spreading the field and, and spreading it out to other receivers the way C.J. Stroud has been doing, I think that's good for Allen. And Allen is, you know, the reason that people call Josh Allen kind of the anomaly um, for quarterback evaluation and that he kind of um, he some people would even say that he's ruined some outlooks for quarterback evaluation because he is not conceptually the sharpest tool in the shed in terms of making decisions as a quarterback but he gets away with it with his physical skills 
Um, and I think that some of this was coming back to bite him this year and uh, on a level where, you know, he's had nine interceptions so far this year, um, which is a pretty high mark for him right now. It's kind of, and, and there's thoughts that he, um, he could study more. He could work a little bit differently or he could incorporate, you know, incorporate things a little bit better on the field and that maybe there's a little too much reliance on his physicality. Um, and then there's other things like, you know, I'd like to get into, but we don't have Are you time. saying he's playing Call of Duty with Kyler Murray in his spare time when he should be working on his uh, game plans? I think there are people who would say that they wish he was playing Call of Duty. <laughs> um, that that would be probably a better situation than how things have turned out. But, you know, it's working out on the field still, and hopefully he's kind of figured things out enough that, um, that this is just kind of a... Um, you know, an issue that can just doesn't bleed onto the field. So I, I think that there's a real chance that that's probably probably going to be the case with him. But uh, yeah, um, Khalil Shakir totally feeling, and I think that he's a, a a good example that will probably save Josh Allen's um, career or current standing. Let's say current standing with the Buffalo Bills, um, and it won't degenerate. Oh, they paid him enough. I think that's ensured yeah. his standing. Um, hopefully, and hopefully, like you know, more pieces. Like, you know, honestly, it's an explosive offense that you know we saw it even in this game, which maybe wasn't their best game, and their defense is a big part of that. But as long and uh, you know, from a fantasy perspective, more power to them for not stopping anybody and forcing the Bills uh, to be a little more focused on offense. Because I thought it paid off last night, and I think it'll pay off more. The more pieces. Uh, the more pieces for us to chop up and use in our lineups, especially with daunting bye weeks and issues coming up, uh, attrition and all those kind of good things that happen in fantasy football late in the year. Uh, speaking of Call of Duty, Ramondre Stevenson answered his uh, against the Washington Commanders yesterday on nearly 130 yards of total offense. Uh, are you feeling him as a weekly running back one? I am, and and especially in these times where some guys just aren't sturdy enough and we don't know from week to week what's going to happen with touch workload i know it's not the sexiest team they're not remotely the sexiest team but um stevenson is a good running back who just is playing behind an offensive line that just isn't that strong and they're figuring out ways things to do with them i mean look rashad white is playing better football but still they can't run the ball as consistently as you'd like to see and i'd say ramondre steven rashad Wright. What, um, Rashad White are kind of in that similar tier right now in terms of how their production is going to um, be distributed. Um, I think Stevenson's a little bit more talented of a, of a runner. White is more talented as a receiver, but um, they're both they're both fascinating players and I wouldn't mind buying into in Dynasty a little bit. Rashad White, 17 targets over the last three games, like four, six, seven, he catches a lot of them, racking up good yards with them. Are you feeling him then as well? as a similar commodity, a guy that you would have to play every single week. Totally getting there because I think, you know, Baker Mayfield isn't playing like shaky Mayfield, so that's good. And then on top of that, you got White who is taking what he can get between the tackles. He's running aggressively. He's being assertive with getting his pads down and not trying to bounce things outside like he did at Arizona State. And he's looking like a mature runner who's just taking what the defense gives him and knowing now that he's also getting the I think part of the two this is what happens with young players is that when he entered the league you know he could do pretty much a little bit of everything but if he wasn't sure he was going to get a vo the volume that 
that he hoped for. I think he wanted to make an impression with making big plays. So if he wasn't going to get enough in the passing game, he would try to bounce things in the run game to maximize his opportunities. And I think that now that he's figured out he's going to get the ball no matter what, and he's the top dog, I think he's relaxed enough to say, all right, I'm going to play within the scheme and not try to do too much. And as a result, you know, when things aren't working in the run game, they're giving to him the ball in the passing game. And he's, he's, he's very good in the open field. Yeah. I think that's credit to them. You know, they, they have stuck with him. I mean, even when it was the going was lousy and he wasn't getting the passing work. I mean, yeah. he, and he was like, just totally coming with short as a runner. It wasn't like you were seeing a bunch of Sean Tucker, who by the way, a healthy scratch this game and yeah. Keyshawn Vaughn and, and Chase Edmonds have been the other pieces, but we're not seeing much of them either. I'm totally with you on both those players. Ramondre Steven and Rashad White. Tony Pollard I talked about a little bit uh, before, and I went back and uh, I talked to Michael Gelkin about it. So I went back and, and asked, you know, what, what exactly he was talking about. Uh, and heading into this week's game, uh, the number of runs that Pollard hit 19 miles an hour has gone from he, – he's only hit it twice this season. Uh, and that's not been the norm. He topped 19 miles an hour to, what, 4.3% uh, of the time, uh, 10 of 232 touches last year. And so I guess, you know, what I'm thinking here is is this Tony Pollard has diminished suddenly as a, his skills and his ability, his speed is shifting his though. I think it's the usage. I'm going to point my finger at Mike McCarthy uh, as a play caller. Is it possible? Are you feeling that Tony Pollard right now like as being ahead of, let's say, Ramondre Steven and Rashad White? Are you still playing him like that? Or is it, fuck it, I don't like this role that we're seeing him play right now? Fuck it, I don't like this role we're seeing him play right now. And I'm feeling the idea that 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 I should say fuck all the Ezekiel Elliott haters who who've been out there for years because now the Pollard's doing that now, role. It's... <laughs> yeah, guess what, everyone? Well, I've been trying to tell you for five years, but none of y'all want to listen to that. But you know, I understand. I really do because Tony Pollard is an exciting back, and when you see that those exciting plays, you you may not look at the minutia of what Ezekiel Elliott did so well. And I, people might look at, well, Elliot hasn't exactly lit the world on fire, but the fact that he has earned a split with a very good back in Ramondre Stevenson behind a craptastic offense um, in New England, um, let me just put it to you this way. Tony Pollard in New England would probably be reduced to a J.J. Taylor role. I know that's a little bit of hyperbole, but it's um, but I would say he would look pretty bad too. Um considering that and I would argue that he might even look as bad or worse than what than what um Ezekiel Elliott has looked in New England so I uh, just well, yeah. while we're on the Cowboys uh Dak Prescott feeling the fuck totally feeling him you know I mean it, he doesn't his wide receivers really haven't emerged past what we know from CD Lamb he's always done very well with the tight end and Jake you know Jake Ferguson is an RSP favorite. He's a he's a good all around player, and he's really getting the chance to to develop into their mainstay guy. I thought maybe when they grabbed Luke Schoenmacher, that that was going to be they were going to over he was going to overtake Ferguson. But I think Ferguson has pretty much shut the door on that at least um, for this year and probably early next. Um, so you know he's got good options there. It's just a matter of can they find a way to get Brandon Cooks a little bit more involved? Or can Michael Gallup ever return to that previous form? Which I don't think he can. I think he's kind of that guy who got buffered between Lamb and Amari Cooper. Um, so, you know, really right now, 
I would say Pickett's, or excuse me, Prescott is do, re- really doing the best that he can with what he's got and probably um, transcending this offense a little bit more than what people realize sometimes. Uh, I'm going to ask you about a single player here, but really I'm asking you a different question. Feeling uh, Kareem Hunt or uh, fuck three-way splits in backfields? Yeah, I mean, I'd like to say fuck three-way splits in backfields, but this is 2023 right now, of this, so you better feel it. Fuck right. the idea of saying fuck that because That's it. you're you're screwed. And you, who are you going to have then? I'd say Hunt looks good. He's playing good football. Um, they're, they're mixing it up in the red area, so... Hunt and Ford are your best options. I think the Pierre Strong thing's diminishing a bit. Blind the ointment. It yeah. did this week. Did yeah. This week. They used to on, he's doing well on special teams, too. So they're probably feeling like that Hunt and Ford are both healthy enough to roll now. Yeah, I, and I think that's true. Also, I think it's interesting. Hunt's kind of turned more into the short yardage guy, Ford more of the passing down guy, and I think that's giving him a little more. And he's or been, at least he's been yeah, RB17 for the past right. five weeks. So, At least in this game, good. look, Hunt is fine because he's scoring touchdowns, and as long as he keeps doing that, I'm very, I'm perfectly happy. But, but, uh, but you're correct. I mean, you, people get used to this. This is how running back works now. There are there are not a lot of feature backs. Get those guys, hold on to them, cherish them, hope they stay healthy, uh, and uh, when they don't, be prepared to deal with these murky committees and try to divine them on a weekly basis as best you can. That means starting lots of wide receivers in your flex positions, occasionally really good tight ends. If you drafted two tight ends, don't be afraid to do that. But hardly ever Hunter Renfro. All right, we had a coaching, we had a change of coaching staffs and, you know, play callers. I thought the the youngster came in and did a good job at quarterback, Aiden O'Connell. I thought the play calling was not horrible. Uh, I thought there was a lot to like. Also, they were playing the Giants. Are we feeling anything about the Raiders and in particular Hunter Renfro? They're not feeling hunt, fuck Hunter Renfro for right now, but I'm feeling the idea that that they have let him out of the um, out of the base out of the cellar where he was chained basically to a water pipe um, by his game was chained there by Josh McDaniels, um, and now that the police have come and basically um, you know got everybody out of there and ordered Mark Davis to get a haircut that. You know, no. that things I, I'm glad they got rid of the dumb and dumber bowl thing. I mean, come on, dude. The fact that you even eat at PF Chang's on a regular basis and set up an office tells me that maybe you're not getting enough nutrition for that brain of yours. Um, so I, I appreciate someone's had an intervention because you can be hermits like us and nobody gives a fuck about what our hair looks like, and that's quite okay. Or you can be the front facing person for an NFL franchise. Smart enough to pay $85 million to get rid of Josh McDaniels. I mean, or is that smart? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, then when they got rid of Mike Mayock <laughs> and Basaccia, who helped them get to the playoffs, yeah, I think that I think that bull cut was covering up some things that, oh, that didn't need goodness. to be. But thank goodness that there's some change there. They've blown a little air and get the dust out of that place. I'm hoping that maybe they can dust off Hunter Renfro down the stretch so we can revisit this. And, I, and I'll note this about running back how are you i gotta feel it for you or ask you a feeler fuck it for this one the likelihood that fantasy manager or fantasy commissioners and and leagues across the <clears throat> across the um the world basically create far more flex opportunities where you're only going to ha- have to start one running back in your lineup are you feeling feel that, that as I a, mean, as a think... huge increase about to happen I think we're already starting to see that. And like, by the way, Scott Fish often a leader in these kind of things. And you're seeing more flexes in the fishbowl. And I think that's a, 
I think that's a good idea, right? I mean, you know, let's just put our best players in, and especially to, and you know, like, like, look, maybe some of you out there prefer the challenge. Like, hey, this is football, man. You play running backs, said Matt Waldman, <laughs> raising his hand, not so quietly, right? And, but I, and I mean, there's something to be said for that too. But also, having a few more flexes doesn't hurt, right? You know, as, you know, require a set number of positions and maybe add a little bit to the flex position. I think is perfectly fine. Yeah. Um, Flexes but, are fun. I just don't want well, it to be everything all the time. Right, right. Running, you know, running back is. I mean, that's part of the challenge of doing this is is finding, identifying those gems each week. Uh, you know, like who knows? Like sudden workloads don't always lead to sudden production. Said Devin Singletary. Sometimes it does. I mean, trying to figure out uh, the way that's going to work out for you is, is can be challenging. Almost as challenging as deciding whether you like or don't like Geno Smith. Yeah, I'm having a tough time with that one. I was really liking him before, but it seems like, you know, he's taking responsibility for his play, you know, about four or five weeks ago, and it feels like it just hasn't progressed, you know, at this stage. So, you know, right now I'd say in in redraft, I'd say fuck him. Um, in dynasty, I'd still hang on to him a little bit longer, but, you, you know, hopefully he wasn't your number one in that case. And, uh, you, you know... I don't know. I'm. I'm. There was something else I wanted to say to you, but I. I can't remember. So fuck it. It wasn't that important. All right. Let's talk a couple. Of, you know, things that I think are interesting topics for for fantasy managers. Trade deadlines in general in your fantasy leagues. Uh, feel them or fuck them. Yeah. I mean, Adam Harstead and I had a good conversation about this on Thursday on our RSP Film and Theory, and and Adam brought up the idea of why do we even do it? Like it, it's like it. You, you're basically cutting off an avenue for people to figure out ways to win. And if you're believing well, because that, you don't trust your league mates. Yeah. And, but that's the idea of like, yeah, you don't trust your league mates, but if you're saying all trades are fair and you're not going to do the whole veto and veto things and have a soap opera every, every year. And you just rely on the fact that if you're, if, if you have some GMs in your league or assholes, Either they're your kind of asshole, and every you know, as one of my friends says and introduced himself, he said, "Listen, I'm I'm an asshole, but my friends say that I'm I'm their asshole." Yeah, you know. And if you have that kind of friend, then you got to sit there and tell them, "Look, don't be an asshole today. This year, you can't make these stupid trades. You know, you're not you're not going to be in the league, or if they're they're not going to listen, you know, you kick them out. You know, and you and you make sure that they're not, you know." And and you deal with that, but I think that otherwise you make all trades fair and you deal with the with the consequences of that and give them an avenue. I mean, and I and my point about this was really that really this Bob, we I think the people who don't like um, trades and then limit deadlines are the same people who actually had success with drafting and don't trade very right. often, and right. because they make the draft such a big avenue, they're it's natural for them to subconsciously just limit trade deadlines well you're you're limiting an at an asset to get through it'd be kind of like saying i mean the to me waivers the waiver wire and first come first serve is just an extension of the draft right. so why are we allowing more drafting and not enough trading i look i'm fine with either way i'm like very busy i have too many leagues i yeah i, I only i do trades when i get like offers that like i find immediately like boom that's a fair yeah. offer it helps me doesn't, you know, not like I'm giving somebody something that's going to change the face of the league and I'll hit it immediately. 
I'm not the guy who's going to sit there and do a bunch of research and say, well, let me find a good counter or let me go. Yeah. I'm not Mike Dempsey, our friend from my co-host on Sirius XM Face Sports Radio, who spends every waking hour out there scrubbing everyone's roster, looking for opportunities to make trades, proposing multiple trades. Mostly, you know, I mean, look, he does it good. He proposes fair trades that give people something they need in return for something he needs. But he puts a lot of effort into it he and does. he's doing it throughout. If he wants to do that, I'm fine with it. I don't have to trade with them. I don't have to trade with anybody. I can impose my own trade deadlines if I want. I'm with you. If people are out there working the trade circuit in that way, I'm fine with people trading. I do think there's a point where you get into the playoffs where you're you're opening the door to controversy or whatever, and then that's yeah. you know more of a personal yeah. personal the- personnel management issue within your league ownership. I mean, if you don't trust people to to play it up play straight, and you think they're going to be cheaters, then why are they in your league? And yeah. And, and, and the answer that Adam gave that I thought was really good was like, well, if you don't like the fact that somebody bid on Tyreek Hill late because it's a basically it's in a dynasty league per se, and you think that he's got a year left, but this year is going to help you, you don't like that someone's doing that. Well, you can counter bid. You can make a you know you can make an offer to sure. somebody you know, and if. And if your offer is so much better and people and everyone knows that and you, you know, you'll see evidence of collusion. Now you don't want to have to deal with that stuff. So I understand, you know, I think that probably the, the, the deal is, is that um, trade deadlines are probably, I'm feeling it in a vacuum and in theory, but in practice, um, people are too fucked up in their communication and in their straightforwardness <laughs> to actually execute it well. Um, there's going to be way too much dysfunction. But I love the idea, and if you have the right league to do it, then you're good. If you don't, just know just know your people. If you know your yeah. people are a bunch of assholes and, and you love them anyway, you just you, you may not want to do trade deadline. <laughs> you may uh, want to so do a tra- trade deadline. Re- related one, trading for picks in Dynasty. I'm going to just you know jump in and say... Uh, generally speaking, fuck that. I mean, I think people, you know, we put a lot of value on draft picks. I think first round picks are pretty valuable. I think after that, and even first round picks, to some degree, you're taking your chances. And I think we, we, I think generally speaking, people are willing to let go of pretty productive players in hopes of landing a draft pick that's going to get a player that, hell, you know, I can remember trading away a first pick overall the year Kyle Pitts came into the league and I was ridiculed for it. How could you not want Kyle Pitts? Um, I wanted more picks. Because uh, I was building and I got more picks and turned them into a lot of good players. And the guy who has Kyle Pitts probably isn't as happy he got Kyle Pitts. So trading for picks in Dynasty, quickly, feel it or fuck it. Yeah, I'm totally feeling it in the idea that as long as you understand that the early first round pick and you know for sure you're getting an early first round pick is much higher in value than like a mid first or a late first. And that what I am feeling is what Adam also suggested on our show, which is trade for the year the the next year's coming picks not like 2024 picks but 2025 picks because you have a better chance of landing a high pick with that because there's it's not predictable that a team that's good this year is going to be good next year basically he's studied done those models and that means that 2025 or the year plus one is the better options to go for Right, and just in general, go back and look at your own draft and look at the players you got in the second rounds and the players that were available in the third round and the players who were available in the fourth round. Before you're out there hoarding a bunch of fourth-round picks, realize you need to like maybe accrue some talent with those picks, and that's not necessarily how it always works out for you. So That's right. Unless you, you get the rookie scouting portfolio and pick oh, you know, Puka Naku in the fourth round, like 
you know, someone someone here did at least. In I way. hope all my shares of Xavier Hutchinson play pan out. I hope they do too, you know. Mm -hmm. But I'll say this: he keeps reminding people he just ran through Levante David um, to get a first down on an end around Look, yesterday. He looked pretty good in his isolated opportunities. I'll this is the, like this is not a uh, you know a, a, it's you know not intended as an endorsement, but the rookie scouting portfolio is how I make all my picks outside the first round. Honestly, it's also how I make all my picks in the first round as well, uh, because I've learned lessons. Like I've learned things like. Man, when everyone's all in on Saquon Barkley, maybe waiting a few picks uh, and getting Nick Chubb is probably going to pay off. All these things I learned in the rookie scouting portfolio have paid off for me greatly in Dynasty. Football. Well, you've learned you've learned the information on valuing the players, but see, you're teaching people and myself as well from before I ever started the rookie scouting portfolio about how to use information well, <laughs> and that's something that you've done for quite some time, my friend. Look at you. Yeah. Uh, I'm all right, let's get out of here before all I'm right. getting felt up anymore. <laughs> <laughs> Avoid the white tunts, y'all. We love you. Ah, bye. Love you. Bye. <laughs>